When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Recorded live. Black Power, BB48, my whole chop, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Welcome to our Sunday special. We're going to have it tonight, the uh, Attorney at War, the official, the only Attorney at War, Bible Automatic. Um, I'm getting my, getting my uh, chat room open. I can cipher through everything. Uh, if you are not, if you are, uh, if you are just right now, could you please put your microphone on mute? I'm striving to get my board open. We don't want to hear people's uh, things that they got going on in the background. All right. See him then open up. See open this thing up. Having a little trouble with my internet connection. So, all right. Here we go. Having a little trouble getting my internet connection open. But waiting for our uh, Bob Automatics to come in. Bob Maddox, are you out there? And uh thing we're gonna theme around today. I think gonna be uh, uh somebody got the computer just called in. Put your computer on and your line open. You gotta push mute, or but matter of fact, you ain't gonna have to push mute. As soon as I get my chat room open, I'm gonna mute all the lines, and I'll have all this correct. So, partner, self, family, let me just get this thing to. My computer is not working, so I gotta go to my backup.
attorney at war, the Bible automatic thing tonight. Uh, we we were looking, you know, we had a conversation with him, a short, brief one last weekend, discussing uh, a few things that were going on in the community. That, but, um, before we really get into that and um, some of the questions around the million mark march. We just wanted to give Baba some time just to uh, speak to the family and give us, um, you know, his outlook and an outline for the grassroots people. You know, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, just a, a, a little outline that's something for the uh, people to go forward. That was just termed off of the thought that our brother Mikara had asked on the brother last last weekend. And we will get into that homework too, Baba, about um, the black woman still being a slave. You got it. So, but from that point, if you if you could, you know, you, um, come in. I know it was a little difficulty doing the uh, for going to Atlanta, and so we want to we want to also make sure that everybody on the line we figure out a way that we can. Um, Show our appreciation for the work that you put in. Where you know, where a lot of the people are more electronically sound. We in the two that you know, 2015, and a lot of the youth, and I'm saying youth, 40 and under, respect the work that you've done because it was it's their only way for them to connect with some of the ancestors that have already passed on to that ancestral realm. Some of the elders who passed on to the ancestral realm. A lot of the master teachers. So. We want to figure out a way to show that appreciation, and the least that they can do is show monetary appreciation. So we want to find a way that we can um, somehow get some electronically by, you know, some type of uh, PayPal or GoFundMe or something going on. You know, we just want to just put that. I wanted to put that out there personally, you know, so then we have a way that people could contribute to you every month or just whenever they can. People could just always put in whatever donation that they could. Well, I thank you very much for that. Uh, you know, certainly uh, I think that uh, in any struggle, uh, you certainly have to have a war chest. Uh, but in my struggle, uh, I chose a long time ago to uh, to do what I could to protect our youth. Uh, because uh, our youth have become, unfortunately, and I don't necessarily like to use this term, but uh, most people may understand it, uh, an endangered species. And uh, in that respect, um, you know, we have to uh, do all that we can uh, to protect our youth. And in order for me to do what I had to do, yeah, I I chose to invest my uh, retirement into the current struggle, which meant that um, I more or less uh, was concerned about what was going on with our young people today, and I realized that it would be inappropriate for me to be operating and charging people uh, fees commensurate with my skills. Uh, because uh, our children, in the meantime, would be wiped out. So uh, that's basically what, where I am coming from, 
And uh, I feel as though uh, anything that uh, people can do, uh, that they should, because the investment in our future is our most important product. So definitely. Uh, well, you know, um, well, well, Bob, well, you know, t- tonight, if you could, you know, for about the next, you know, uh, I guess 30, 30 minutes or so, if you could, if you got 30 minutes, to just lay out a message to the grassroots, and then we'll get to um, a little bit of the million, the million mark mark, and things of that nature. But before we do that, though, I want to make sure I get my. Uh, my co-host in here. Let me see. Is my co-host in here? Sister Camille, is that you? Uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go through, and I'm a. I know my sister on the line, but because of the program that we're using right here. It shows New York numbers. It doesn't show me exact numbers, so I can't just pick her out of the crowd. So uh, what I'm going to do, sister, is during, uh, during the time that Bob is speaking, uh, I'll just hit you on the back room, and we'll figure out how we can uh, make that connection. Because I definitely want to keep my co-host, the sister, to be on the line. So after you give our med- the message to the grassroots, we'll go through again, connect with that connect with our sister, and then uh, we'll deal with the million mark march and and things that and things that surround that. Well, I think, one, um, we must suggest and recognize some very uh, basic principles. Um, in this system, uh, in this country, uh, natural law, is the uh, basis for American jurisprudence. And basically, uh, natural law is a uh, is a struggle between the predators and the prey. And in that regard, uh, we are, by all accounts, the prey. And so we have to deal with how do we defend ourselves against the predators. The predators, on the other hand, are the ones who decide what rules we operate under. And, of course, uh, those rules are always going to be favorable to the predators. And in that regard, uh, it is not surprising uh, that black people do not have a right to bear arms and they do not have a right to defend themselves, which are very critical for our survival. And in addition to that, uh, the, the second matter that we must recognize that we should not be able or should not be able to finance our own oppression or to endorse our oppression. Since uh, 1964 and 65, uh, this country has created a finan- financing system which encourages black people to finance their own oppression and to endorse their own oppression, and which therefore gives the predator uh, more funds to operate in terms of uh, acquiring the rest of his agenda. And in that regard, uh, the 
Voting Rights Act of 1965 and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 have been employed, and we have exploited both. Uh, we saw a decrease in black businesses uh, because of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and we've seen uh, uh, legislative oppression uh, because of the Voting Rights of 1965. And those are some very basic things that we have to refrain from financing and endorsing our own oppression. Uh, if we're going to be oppressed, the oppressor should use his own money and should use his own political clout to do that. He should not, on the other hand, uh, encourage us to use our own money to finance our own oppression and, and to endorse our own uh, political mishaps. And that is a very basic principle. I mean, you have to recognize that when you uh, when you when you have money to spend, that you have to spend it very wisely, and that when you have an opportunity to vote, you have to vote very wisely. And the use both of them require considerable amount of study. So you know you're not just uh, going to go out. Uh, with a hundred dollars in your pocket, and just start spending it without study, and you're not going to go to a polling booth and vote without having studied the issues of, and the candidates uh, very carefully. And hopefully, in that regard, you have uh, a mechanism in which uh, people are there to assist you correctly in how you spend both your money and your votes. I say, well, those are some quick pointers for the family out there. Um, I know you sent this. I read a article that you sent out earlier. Well, I'm gonna pull the article up because I'm gonna make sure it's correct. But, uh, the title and heading of it. Here we go. Not wanting 
to, uh, you know how, sometimes you don't really like to say I told you so. You know, so I was looking at it, not wanting to be able to say I told you so. And so I'm watching and I hear attorney at war, our attorney at war, Benjamin. And I see here you say you got a plenty of phone calls from people who couldn't believe what was happening. And, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted you, if you could, just go into just your, your thoughts on that whole situation. Well, I'll, I'll be very glad to. And I want to start out by uh, uh, dealing with this based on some principles of logic. Uh, so uh, people recognize this had nothing to do with being emotional. It's just a matter of principles of logic. And you see, you can't be a principled person unless you use principles. That's the only way you can be principled. So if you have no knowledge of the principles, uh, you have no opportunity to be principled. Now, when you deal with logic, uh, it starts with definitions. Uh, so you have to make sure first your definitions are correct. And, and this is why we have such an appreciation for Malcolm X, uh, because if you go back and study the autobiography of Malcolm X, uh, you know that during the time that he was being uh, contained, uh, he spent a considerable amount of time uh, in the study of words, and as well as the history of words, which is a basis uh, for critical thinking, you have to have you have to master that first. And secondly, uh, you have to engage in classifications. So, uh, in in terms of where we are uh, with uh, uh, Benjamin Crump uh, and what happened in. Uh, D.C. Uh, this past weekend, uh, you have to recognize that what is going on in this country today is four classes of movements. And they are, one, the human rights movement, which uh, is hardly on the radar screen. Then you have the civil rights movement, C-I-V-I-L-R-I-G-H-T-S movement. And thirdly, you have the S-I-L-V-E-R-R-I-T-E-S, civil rights, S-I-L-V-E-R-R-I-T-E-S. And then now you have the Black Matters, Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which is in the fray today. Now, you would notice that in reality, uh, on uh, this past Saturday, uh, only two of those movements were recognized. Uh, one was the S-I-L-V-E-R-R-I-T-E-S movement, and the second one was the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, the definition of the S-I-L-V-E-R-R-I-T-E-S movement is what the name suggests, silver, 30 pounds of silver, uh, used by lawyers uh, to get hush money 
uh, for their victims. And so this is basically a personal injury movement uh, where we're not talking about a class of people who are victims. We're only talking about persons uh, who are seeking personal uh, success, uh, financial success for themselves. And then you're talking about the Black Lives Movement, when if you saw what was going on on C-SPAN today, uh, this past weekend, it was suggested to you that the Black Lives Matter movement is a government-funded movement or a foundation-funded movement. And so uh, when I heard that uh, Benjamin Crump was being referred to as the attorney at war, uh, it was a concern to me because I've always said that Benjamin Crump is a part of the S-I-L-V-R-R-I-T-E-S movement. And so it is inconsistent uh, for an attorney to be a part of the S-I-L-V-R-R-I-T-E-S movement and also be an an attorney at war. Uh, that can't happen. So uh, just on that alone, forget about the fact that uh, generally people consider me as the only attorney at war. That being the case, it was difficult for me to reconcile the moderator referring to Benjamin Crump as the civil SIL, as the attorney at war when I knew he was part of the SILVRRITS movement, uh, which is presided over by Al Sharpton. Uh and so uh and it, it it goes around the country, uh, from place to place, uh, you know, trying to pacify and placate uh victims and giving them some hush money. Uh in the meantime and in each particular case not filing a civil at class action and not uh seeking uh any liability on the part of the police or whatever agency is engaged in causing harm to uh, have any liability. And so this has been going on for some time, and this is what uh, Benjamin Crump is a part of. And so on the other hand, uh, I have been a part of the human rights movement, which is something totally different. It's hard for me to understand how Minister Farrakhan could get confused by the RITS movement. And so under those circumstances, uh, that caused me great concern, and it just seems as though that while Mr. Farrakhan called it the 2015 Million Man March, uh, it seemed to be more in league with the SILVRITS movement.
don't know what happened, but I can't hear Brother Thompson. Hello? Hello, Black Power. Did you mute him, Brother Vaughn? I can't hear him. Baba Maddox, you on the line? Brother Vaughn? Yeah, yeah, you here. Okay. No, I didn't, I didn't mute him. I don't, I don't know what happened, but he's back. All right, all right. We we got it. Were you able to hear what I was saying? No, nah, I uh, I believe your mic muted out for a moment. You were speaking and then it just muted out. Okay, all right. Well, uh, what I was basically saying was that it was very difficult for me to understand how uh, Metaferatron, who most people refer to as being a part of the human rights movement, having as his uh, guest speakers. On this past weekend, mem- prominent members of the S-I-L-V-E-R-R-I-T-E-S uh, movement. Uh, and, uh, you know, not only did you have Benjamin Crump, which is a part of that civil movement, uh, but you also had Tamika Mallory, uh, which is a part of that uh, movement. And the, the real victims, like Tawana Brawley, who Mr. Farrakhan promised on December 12, 1987, that he would always be with uh, Tawana and her family uh, seems to be missing in action uh, at this 2015 Million Man March, as they were also missing in action uh, in 1995. Mm-hmm. So, with, um, Brother Micaron, is there anything that you wanted to... Uh, you want to ask to to the brother, and before but before I do that, if you could give me a moment, I just want to pull Sister Camille in. I just want to make sure I got the sister in here, and so I'm gonna have to start at the bottom here. No doubt. All right, uh, let's open up a couple of lines. But go ahead. Uh, yeah, I basically want to ask him. Uh, in all, you know, was this uh, basically a fundraiser type of situation that took place this weekend, Bob Maddox? Well, I think it, it was uh, uh, somewhat beyond just uh, funds because I think that a lot of money uh, came in without the need for the grassroots to provide uh, Minister Farrakhan with the money uh, that he may have collected this weekend. Uh, I think that uh, the issue to this weekend really affects policy questions uh, and how we are going to be disposed of in the future. And so uh, uh, there are people out here uh, who uh, are not waiting for some of us grassroots types uh, to finance our own oppression. Uh, they are so eager to move in that I think some, a lot of money came from foundation and from the government itself. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, what you're going to, to see uh, as a result of this, uh, some of the things that 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 we have been trying to fight for so long, uh, because uh, the things that you know people can use in terms of uh, words like justice or else, you know, uh, is very misleading because of the fact that if you wanted justice or else, uh, you wouldn't have a Benjamin Crump uh, there. Uh, because he never believed in justice for else. He just only believed in hush money. Uh, so you wouldn't have him as a keynote speaker, and you certainly would not be referring to him as the attorney at war. 
you and I have Tamika Mallory, uh, who is a sidekick of Reverend Al Sharpton, as one of the primary guest speakers uh, on that particular night. And we basically know uh, where Reverend Sharpton is coming from at this particular time. And uh, and, it, and it was surprising uh, that you will be holding a, 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 a march uh, where you call it justice or else uh, for somebody who's collecting millions of dollars uh, from the various corporations uh, in America as head of the Madison Avenue Initiative uh, with the National Action Network only being a front. Okay. I got one more question, too. Bob um, Maddox, I was born in 1982, so I'm a youngster to this movement. But after doing my research and, and, and finding out the extensive relationship that you have with Khalid Muhammad, did you take offense to them centering or using Khalid as a promotion tool to gear up this march? Well, you know, I, I, I was very close to Dr. Khalid in so many uh, ways. And, you know, one one of the things I think that people may not be aware of is some of the things that happen in, in a civil case called Pagonas versus Maddox, Mason, Shopton, and Brawley, uh, even though Tawana Brawley was listed in the caption, uh, she was never a party to the lawsuit. She had never been served with any papers to be sued, and no court in New York had any jurisdiction over her. So the idea that Tawana Brawley may have lied or, or whatever was just a farce because nobody looked at the uh, facts. Uh, she was not a party. But this is what what bothers me. Uh, you know, I have in name been associated with Mr. Farrakhan for years, and, you know, I've been associated with Reverend Shopton and C. Vernon Mason uh, for years. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, they're all missing in action, you know. So the pledges that they made uh, back in 1987 are now null and void. And so, uh, you know, and when you when you deal with Khalid, uh, the reason why I'm very, uh, very much uh, uh, a, a, a serious comrade of Khalid is because uh, the white man used legal lease to destroy Khalid, and our people did not know what legal lease meant. I mean, and so, you know, this is why I spend so much time now, uh, you know, writing virtually every day of trying to get our people to understand legal lease and to understand military science because the white man is bilingual. He only speaks two languages, and they are legal lease and military science. And so, you know, I'm more concerned about my uh, ability to educate our people than I am to just try to sustain myself. You know, so, you know, when I, when, when people uh, give money uh, for any cause that I'm involved in, I try to remind them, first of all, uh, black people can never repay me uh, because, you know, the things that I did, I never charge for them, and, uh, and 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 they have now become too costly. Uh, but what I suggest is that we have to have an institution uh, where we can speak truth to power, and so if, and also an institution that will educate and explain to our people what certain things 
uh, uh, existing to bring about. And so when uh, Jesse Jackson uh, uh, filed a, uh, 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 submitted a New York Times article uh, blasting uh, Dr. Collett, uh, and then the U.S. Congress passed what was called a Bill of Attainder. And a Bill of Attainder is unconstitutional in America, but most of our people don't seem to understand what a Bill of, of Attainder is. Uh, it is a death warrant. And so when Congress passed that death warrant, uh, it was inevitable that Khalid was going to die. And nobody seemed to have gotten really around him to provide him with protection. I, mean, I didn't see the, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, not Honorable Elijah Muhammad, but Honorable Miller Louis Farrakhan uh, getting behind him or anybody else. And so, you know, what is disturbing to me is not just exploiting uh, him for the Million Man March, but what is more disturbing is the fact that when Congress passed a death warrant against Dr. Collett, nobody took it seriously and nobody put the uh, Fruit of Islam or anybody else around Dr. Collett to make sure that he, w- he would survive. And as a result, he was shot in Riverside, California. He recovered from that, and then he came back to Georgia and was poisoned, and that was the end of the story. And so, you know, and, and, and somebody got the answer for why were we so lax uh, in uh, uh, bringing about uh, any kind of investigation as to how he died and why would Jesse Jackson uh, urge Congress to uh, file a bill of attainder against him? I did not know that. I didn't know Jesse Jackson fought. That shows his position. Wow. Brother, you have uh, anything else you want to add at this at this moment before I, I think I believe I got Sister Camille in here. Sister Camille, is that you? I got a long list of questions, but go ahead and get, bring the sister so she can get her question. I don't want to, you know. Black Power will be before we end. And be before the end. Yeah. Um, well, well, sister, come on, come on, then, Baba, Baba Manny. This is our yes, uh, host, Sister Camille. Uh, I know she, I know she had a, a couple questions. She's seen a couple things. You know, we, we all looking at this ten, ten, fifteen. It, it was very funny, but she might have a, a, you know, I don't know what her question might be on. Um, well, uh, Black Power and um, my love and respect to Baba Maddox. Thank you power to you, sister. Time. Thank you. Baba Maddox, it's so funny that you went into the Bill of Attainment, uh, Attainer, because I looked that up today. Uh-huh. And um, I, I was stunned. Well, you have mentioned this many times. I've heard you mention this before. Let me put it that way. Uh-huh. And to read the Constitution, to really go into it and, and look this up, and uh, also the definition in the Law, Library, uh, Law Dictionary, right? It was shocking to see that first it's unconstitutional. Uh-huh. That there was no outcry. Uh uh I you know, I'm not expecting that from the enemies that are lawyers, but those that are black and are are lawyers. Uh the black people in the Congress at the time. It's stunning that this went down like that. 
Um, and it does also, um, as you mentioned, it does, um, it is used uh, in a sentence of death. Absolutely. So those black elected officials who knew this language and knew that meaning, those black attorneys at the time, outside yourself, the only person standing up who, who knew this, shame on them. I, I just cannot believe that it went down like that. And the involvement of those uh, surrounding Dr. Khalid Muhammad because, you know, uh, Baba Maddox, I'm offended that uh, the new Black pa uh, Panther Party uh, is claiming how they put out a report. Well, you know, you should have because he was with y'all when he was poisoned, when he was murdered. Uh-huh. To me, that only implies implication. Uh-huh. Now, Baba Maddox, another thing that happened uh, uh at this uh, rally, Farrakhan spoke about Thomas Jefferson being a lover of freedom, being a, a lover of um, our, our people being free. At the same time that he is imprisoning and, and, and have our people in child enslavement and, and raping a child, can you can you speak on your take on Thomas Jefferson since Louis Farrakhan, in my opinion, uh, did a disservice to our ancestors and, and to the, to our people that was there and those that heard that in his description of Thomas Jefferson. Well, the, Thomas Jefferson uh, was one of the rank uh, slave masters and slaveholders, you know, of all times. Uh, he was absolutely a certified rapist, and he he engaged in doublespeak uh, while he talked about. Uh, the Declaration of Independence. Uh, he, at the same time, uh, was raping a black woman who he did not consider uh, to be a human, and that was uh, Sally Hemings. And there was an uproar uh, because uh, there was a newspaper publisher uh, from Richmond, Virginia, who actually uh, said that uh, uh, called Sally Hemings Hennings, uh, uh, a, 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 a darkie, and said that she was in the White House uh, with Thomas Jefferson, and Thomas Jefferson, in turn, uh, filed charges against uh, this publisher and accused him of seditious libel, uh, which is a, was a very uh, serious charge, and basically what it meant was uh, that you had absolutely no right uh, to speak the truth uh, against a slaveholder, and so uh, this uh, 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 publisher uh, went to prison. And as a result of it, he, she was called uh, Dusky Sally, and so uh, Jefferson uh, was offended uh, because uh, this calendar, who was the newspaper publisher, was trying to inform uh, the country that Jefferson was more than a slaveholder. He was actually having sex uh, with a black woman in the White House. And so, uh, obviously, uh, that caused a tremendous uproar uh, at that particular time. And then later, as we know, the other uproar was the one with uh, uh, our uh, friend and educator, Booker T. Washington, uh, who... Uh, dying at the White House at the invitation of Theodore Roosevelt, 
And as a result of that dining at the White House, uh, it was their name changed to Executive Mansion, I mean, from Executive Mansion to the White House, which basically meant that no black person has any reason or any business being in the White House. And so now you have a scenario which I think is very important, and I want people to understand this. Unfortunately, political uh, forecasting is not our forte. That's unfortunate because if political forecasting was our forte, uh, then we would be able to plan now for the racial onslaught uh, that's getting ready to occur against our people. And 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 for uh, Minister Farrakhan uh, to be elevating Thomas Jefferson uh, is is really an, an insult uh, to all black people, and uh, really it, it minimizes what we are getting ready to face, uh, because the Republican Party has decided that uh, a Democrat would be the next president. And the Republican will control both the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives. But in doing so, uh, someone like Joe Biden, who probably will be the next president, will carry out his policy of mass incarceration and mass destruction. Uh, you know, Biden was the uh, uh, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee when uh, Clarence Thomas came before it. And Biden was the one that elevated uh, Clarence Thomas to the U.S. Supreme Court. And in addition to that, Biden afterwards wrote the legislation and gave it to Bill Clinton, allowing for the mass incarceration of blacks. And so, you know, we're in a situation now uh, where just for Mr. Farrakhan to be on the National Mall elevating any slaveholder is a real dangerous signal, and it calls for a relaxation of our people at a time when we should be very much alarmed what is coming down the pike. Uh, Black power to you, Baba Maddox, for that uh, beautiful breakdown. And while you were speaking, you know, I'm, I'm hearing a, a repeat of the Hayes Compromise of 1877. And uh -huh. if, if you look at time-wise, we're just two years from 2017. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we, 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 you know, uh, breaks into uh, time-wise, you know, a, a political cycle. Uh, and so this new political cycle is such, and I want everybody to understand this. Uh, we have to understand that this country requires a political duopoly. That means that there have to be two political parties in order for this country to be viable. So you have to have a Democratic Party, and you have to have a Republican Party. Neither one of those parties can go out in the same way that you have the Sherman Act and the Clayton Act in economics to prevent a, a economic monopoly. You know, because a monopoly does not work well in a capitalist society, and a, a, a monopoly in politics does not work well either. So given the fact that you have to have a political duopoly uh, in politics, uh, the key word 
then becomes balance of power. Now, if Mr. Farrakhan was talking intelligently or had been talking intelligently on Saturday, he would have brought out that concept uh, because it was in that concept of which Thomas Jefferson understands very well and was part of of, of contributing uh, to the writing of the fact that we are three-fifths of a a person uh, because not... Uh, that you know, people are simply saying that uh, 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 that we are this or that. We are three fifths of, 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 of a person in order to allow for a balance of power. You see, slaveholders uh, were outnumbered by the racists in the north, so the racists in the north would have outright dominated uh, the politics and destroyed an idea of a political duopoly if there had not been a three-fifth clause in the U.S. Constitution. Uh, given the fact that a U.S. three-fifth clause was inserted in the, in the U.S. Constitution, we allow for a balance of power. So that basically meant now you have a political duopoly. If you're taking us out of the equation, then the, the whole political system would have gone down because it can only operate on a, uh, on a duopoly basis. The same thing with uh, uh, economics. Uh, you can't have uh, General Motors just being the only uh, car manufacturer. You have to have competition. You have to have a Ford. I mean, in order for for you to have a viable economic system uh, in this country, so you have to have a Democratic Party. You have to have a Republican Party in order in order for both of them to exist. We had to become three fifths of a person, and so now you we're in a situation where. The president is calling for refugees. The Latinos are calling for immigrants. And so in order to maintain that balance of power, we have to be destroyed. We have to be eliminated. It's hard, it's hard for black people to see this because we don't understand what the system is. We don't, we just out here running around with no idea that these people are structuring something that they intend to maintain in order to maintain, in order to bring in the Latinos because the reason why the Latinos are important now because of the Monroe Doctrine, and uh, that basically meant that the United States had to control the Western Hemisphere. Given the fact that now you have all these Latinos coming in here and them over-dominating and providing more than necessary firepower for the Democratic Party, which would disrupt the balance of power, somebody somebody uh, man out. It's like the music of chairs. You know, uh, when you play the game of music of chairs, when the music stops, the person that's standing is out. And so this is what we're getting ready to face in the United States. And because we don't have any political forecasting at all, and because we have uh, uh, leaders like Farrakhan and leaders like Al Sharpton who are misleading us, we are on our absolute political demise. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, Sister Camille, did you have any, any other question? Well, I'm I'm blown away by uh, Baba. Are you breaking up a little bit, Sister? Uh, I said, I'm blown away by Baba Maddox's last statement on uh, uh, future forecasts, the immediate future forecasts of our people. 
you know, and troubled because how do you get those people that went there to become aware of the forecast he eloquently uh, broke down for us just now? And also, Barbara Maddox, before um, my last question here, and I I have to ask this because this is something else that I was highly offended by, and you would have a a superior grasp of this history and and this time period as well. I was offended um, when the minister brought out the grandchildren of the women that – Malcolm X was, uh, that he accused Malcolm X of lying about um, in relationship to uh, Elijah Muhammad's uh, relationship with these uh, young secretaries. Um, His death was called for. And being of that, you know, maybe not of that time being younger, but aware of that, what is your opinion on that display that occurred yesterday? Well, you know, one of the things that I say, because, you know, I I deal in concepts. And so, you know, when I reason, I find legal concepts and political concepts and economic concepts uh, to describe uh, human behavior. And many times our people are not uh, advanced enough, and unfortunately sometimes they're way over their heads. Uh, so when you use certain language, uh, it's very difficult for them to grasp and appreciate what you're saying. And so they just simply become highly uh, offended. Uh, but uh, I've done a lot of study uh, from the time that I was in high school. Uh, and I went on into college and studied at the Library of Congress uh, in addition to being at Howard University and and I've continued this study up to this very point. And so uh, what I have uh, found out in all of this and in my uh, attendance at the University of Georgia uh, Law School when I was there and, and studied master slave law as it was taught back then uh, to us, which is a very important course for me to understand where we are, uh, there is such a thing called a slave burial. And unfortunately, we are all too much guilty of participating in slave burials. And a lot of our people are offended when they hear the word slave burial because out of their own ignorance, uh, they don't have any idea what the slave codes provided for and what uh, they see as being implemented pursuant to the slave codes. Well, one of the things that the the so-called slaveholders are required is that there not only be a physical death, uh, but there also has to be a barrier of one's legacy. And so uh, many times now uh, we ourselves uh, participate in burying one's legacy. And so, you know, when you have someone as great as Malcolm X, uh, his message uh, was so outstanding uh, that it has to be buried. And all of his legacies have to be buried. And this is what you see now. You know, in the same way, as I said some time ago, 
uh, the Gil, Gil Noble had a slave burial uh, because not only was he, his body put in the ground, but like it is, was also put in the ground as well. So we don't have that anymore, and we are weakened as a result of it. We don't understand uh, that meet the press and face the nation are examples of public affairs. And on the other hand, black people are engaged in arts and entertainment. And so when we see uh, here and now today, it's arts and entertainment. Uh, which uh, weakens our political uh, consciousness and the ability to to fight, ward things off in the same way that white folks are going to make sure that when they watch uh, meet the press or face the nation, they're going to be uh, observing serious uh, political issues, and they're going to have people from think tanks and elsewhere around the country as well as journalists to come in and analyze these issues. And so we don't have that, and so that's the reason why uh, we are engaged in politi- in, in, uh, in a uh, system of uh, sharecropping, political sharecropping, you know, while white people are going on with their uh, political duties and functions. And so it's hard for our people to understand that we have to upgrade ourselves, we have to upgrade our mentality, and we have to upgrade our consciousness in order to uh, fight this enemy. Yes, sir. Uh, Sister Camille? Uh, and I, I should have went first because Sister Camille asked two questions that I wanted to ask already. But Sister Camille, do you got anything else you wanted to ask the other, other brother? I just wanted to, um, I wanted to ask him two things, and then I'm open up for Brother Heyrood, and we're gonna go to the lines and just get some questions in, and um, you know, and see what the people and see what the people want to ask about, and see what other words that are out here of inspiration, because we had a whole lot of, uh, we got a whole lot of frustration on uh, 10, 11, 15. No agenda was given. Um, two hours. It was over two hours. Of speech before the before the question of what is the justice or else, you know. So that that right there, I, I was um, blown back by it. But um, you know, there was one statement that was made though that uh, he spoke on friends and how friends don't betray each other. And this was at four minutes. Um, this was 15 minutes, no, this was 11 minutes after he spoke on Malcolm, right? He spoke on, he, he made it in a brief reference because it was referencing the, the, the sisters and the mannerism that they take care of their bodies and, and not to go out and have abortions lets you kill the next Malcolm. And I was highly offended by that statement, knowing that he wasn't the trigger man, but by his own words. He, he placed culpability on some of the things that he said for the death of our of our brothers. And um, Bob, what, when you know, with me saying that, what what do you think about uh, something like that? Where we have a a, a a man named Farrakhan who how do how do you look at how what happened with Khalid and what happened with Malcolm? How do you juxtapose? those two different situations 
looking at, because you've been around long enough to look and see the maneuverment of Farrakhan in those two different situations, and him saying friends don't betray each other. Well, you know, one of the things that happened in uh, 1995 was uh, obviously uh, uh, Dr. Colley had been kicked to the curb uh, in 1995, and uh, and Steve Coakley and myself was two uh, persons who chose to stand with uh, Dr. Collard, uh rather than to uh, uh, to be over there with uh, Mr. Farrakhan. And you know the the, the thing that I, I saw uh, is just simply a lot of jealousy and envy, uh, because the reality of it is is that if you examine Dr. Khalid Muhammad. And what he was saying, uh, he was only a cub of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. I mean, in the most strictest sense of the word. And, you know, obviously uh, the the question became one of opportunism, uh, where, you know, was it more financially attractive uh, for us to abandon uh, the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad uh, and, uh, or not? And so I think that the the answer was that uh, obviously uh, people uh, around uh, Minister Farrakhan, you know, believed that uh, the the wisest thing to do economically uh, was to uh, to get rid of uh, Khalid or to back away from him uh, because this was not the true religion, uh, so to speak, uh, that you know would uh, bring about the kind of S-I-L-V-E-R uh, that people needed. And, I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, when you look at the speakers that Mr. Farrakhan had up there Saturday, it was all about S-I-L-V-E-R. It was not about C-I-V-I-L, uh, you know. And so, the, as I pointed out earlier, uh, when you are in a S-I-L-V-E-R-R-I-T-E-S movement, uh, it's all about money. And, and that's all that you could see from the people that he had uh, with him uh, on Saturday were people who were promoting dollars and not promoting the rights of people. Uh, thank you very, thank you very much for that uh, assessment, right there, brother. Uh, anybody got any anything you want to add on from there? Um, matter of fact, though. Give me one second. I'm going to open up our brother Rahe Wu line. I know my uh, other co-host, and then we're going to hit to the rest of the lines. Let me, let me get this thing. All right. All right here. All right, brother Rahe Wu, your line. Brother Rahe Wu, your line. I know you had a question that you wanted to ask Bob Maddox, so come on then, family. Yeah, BB for Holy Ace family, uh, Black Power. How you doing today, Baba Maddox? Black Power to you, my brother. Thank you for the concern. Uh, my question really isn't within the context dealing with fair trash or anything dealing with the NOI, the FOI, dealing with, you know, yesterday's uh, a million attraction of a million traders of the black race. Uh, my question is, my questions are more so geared at the black man versus the legal system 
And due to the fact that we find ourselves being prisoners of war in a Eurocentric uh, trap of law, what is the best defense or what tools or resources should the black man be using? Because to me, from what I've seen throughout the past of history and current events dealing now is that a black man inside of a white man's courtroom, it's a no-win situation. And I don't see any doors opening up or anyone or any large mass groups of all people stepping, you know, into the uh, the knowledge of law to be able to even take a stance inside of a Eurocentric uh, house of law. So could you give us any information or resources that we can stand on solid and firmly as a black man stepping inside of the Crackers courtroom? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to accept the fact, if, if we want to deal with truth, we have to accept the fact uh, that the white man and his philosophy of white supremacy are fixtures, and they constitute a permanent war against descendants of enslaved Africans. It is absolutely impossible and illogical uh, for any of us to believe that under any circumstances that the white man is going to give us a break. And the reason for that is that we are, have a symbiotic relationship with these white folks uh, and that in order for them to go around the world to prove their superiority, charity has to start at home. And so that means that we have to be the guinea pigs uh for the world to, to see the power of the white man. Now, given that uh, fact, uh, the, the thing that we should immediately understand, that since he is at war with us, is that we have to develop our own army. Uh, because you can't fight white supremacy uh, without an army, and white supremacy is based on legal lease and military science. And so you have to have an army in order to, to fight uh, white supremacy, and so uh, the first thing you have to do as a person is to recognize that if you see your name on an indictment, the indictment should read to you the predator against the prey. That's what it should read to you. And in reading that to you, it should tell you that this is a class action. You know, it's like in the jungle. I mean, if they if you see a lion out there, uh, 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 it's, it, uh, a lion uh, is going to take down a zebra uh, for tonight's supper, but tomorrow he's going to be hungry again, you know, and so he's going to come after somebody else and come after somebody else and come after somebody else, and this is what white supremacy does. Uh, it's going it's, it, it, it's going to recycle and it's going to always be there, and so. We have to understand that. So what what am I saying? What I'm saying is simply this. If your name is on an indictment, not only should you be in court, but at least a 1,000 members of your family and friends and neighbors and coworkers should also be in court with you. You know, we have to go back and, and deal with what our ancestors did uh, when they had the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, and the Fugitive Slave Act of 1791. And uh, what would happen in the North, uh, if you escaped 
from the south and you got to uh, New York or Boston or some other location, and at some point after that, some bounty hunter uh, located you and uh, and took you to the courthouse, our ancestors uh, would uh, come together as an army and go to the courthouse and release you. That's part of history we're not being taught. And so, you know, and those kinds of history lessons have to be duplicated and reduplicated today. I mean, one of my favorite black attorneys uh, in the 1840s was Robert Morris Sr., uh, who I su- suggest probably was the first human rights lawyer, certainly the first civil rights lawyer in America. And we don't even we don't we have never even heard of him, Robert Morris Sr. Uh, he was the uh, 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 second attorney to be admitted to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts Bar. And uh, when he had the case uh, of a, 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 a enslaved African uh, from Norfolk who uh, got to uh, Boston, uh, and, the, and and he was a few steps ahead of the uh, bounty hunters, when they seized him, uh, they took him down to the uh, Brooklyn, not Brooklyn, but the Boston Federal Court. And so uh, in this particular case, uh, Robert Morris Sr. Uh, went down to the courthouse and signed out on as this uh, enslaved African attorney. And so uh, he filed a notice of appearance, and he got in there, and next thing they knew, uh, he helped Shadrach, uh, break out of uh, the uh, prison in Boston, and Shadrach was on his way uh, to Boston, I mean, to Canada, you know. And so this is kind of a struggle that our people engage in. But as we lost sight of our history, you know, then we don't really believe these things are possible anymore. And at that particular time, our people knew they were possible. Now we don't believe they are possible. And so we, we, we have a historical problem. But it's not going to go away. That's what we have to understand. I mean, I don't care if we stay in the next 500 years. As long as the white man is in power, he's going to be doing the same thing. So you have to always be geared up for war. And that's why, you know, when I was a child, people would say there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And I was uh, saying, what in the world is that? And, uh, you know, then I began to understand what that meant. You know, there is always going to be wars and rumors of wars. And every day you wake up in, alive. Uh, you should be ready to go to war, you know. And, I mean, that's the reason why they call me the attorney at war, because every time I went into a courthouse, I was in there to do battle. You know, I I, I didn't go in there with some briefcase and, 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 and saying a bunch of nonsense. You know, I knew it was going to be a war, and I knew I had to defend uh, my client one way or the other. I mean, sometimes I had to get into combat. We had to fight our way out of these courthouses, you know, which is something that, uh, uh, Benjamin Crump has never known and would never do on behalf of a black person to defend another person. I mean, I've gone to jail. I've been prosecuted and those kind of things. That's what happened when you're at war. I mean, what Benjamin Crump is about is a farce. And that's the reason why Mr. Farrakhan knew or should have known uh, that there was nowhere in the world that Benjamin Crump should have even been invited because the idea of inviting Benjamin Crump when you claim it's justice for else or else, is a farce. Because this man has blown every case he ever had. He never won a case. 
you know, we talk, let's get beyond rhetoric. Let's talk about results. I mean, at some point, you got to have the intelligence to say, wait a minute, what has been the result of this person? And, and this is what, unfortunately, black people, we sit there and listen to people talk and talk and talk, and we never ask, well, what's the result? What's the one-loss record? You know, they play the playoffs in baseball today, but they are playing them in baseball today based on one-loss records. Any intelligent people can always try to find out what have you won and what have you lost. The only thing I heard at the Million Man March yesterday was some attorney who said he was associated with uh, Mr. Farrakhan saying he had lost cases. I never heard nobody who spoke there yesterday who said they had won one single case. And that don't seem to bother our people. And that's what's troubling when you can have somebody who's lost every case they ever had and you are celebrating them as though they're Jack Johnson or somebody. And I think what you're saying that Bible Maddox is pretty much my mental uh what grew on my mind for me to ask that question because Dylan now in twenty fifteen you don't see the black man in the courtroom uh being the victor. You just see us coming out being the loser. And this is to for, for me, I may I may be wrong and if I'm wrong correct me. This is why so many, you know, of our young brothers and sisters being kidnapped and being and being a victim and becoming a prisoner of war in this uh, Eurocentric uh, white supremacist uh, legal system. So, you know, we have the morons coming with the Black Law Dictionary saying that as long as we know this book from ins and outs, that it will give us some type of gravitational pull and a strong resource for us to be able to fight this cracker inside of this courtroom. So my question to you is how effective would you say that our people to know the Black Law Dictionary from cover to, to, to end, is, do you see that as being an effective tool for us and fighting this cracker in this courtroom, or is it just better for us to just say pretty much fuck the cracker and his laws and build our own law system and govern our own people and not even worry about the cracker system? Well, you know, to me that was pretty easy to to answer because, you know, I looked at this legal system and I said one or two things are going to happen. I can either overturn this system or I can beat them at their own game. And so given those two options, you know, I chose to beat them at their own game only because I didn't see any support, you know, out here uh, that I could uh, entice uh, to join me uh, to overthrow the system. I mean, let's, let's be real. I mean, you know, the worst thing you can do in the world is to go out here and, and depend upon our people uh, to be ethical uh, in, in a situation like that. So with me, I was literally one of those persons who just beat them at their own game. That was just simple as that. I mean, I don't care what kind of case you gave me. I would look at the rules, understand the rules, and would apply them better than they could apply them for themselves. Because, you see, what I knew is that a jurisprudence did not come out of Europe. It came out of ancient Egypt. And there was no way in the world that I was going to let somebody who came out of a cave uh, to be better at this game than my ancestors were who wrote the rules of the game in the first place. You know, and, and so I've said all along that 
the problem that I find in this legal system is that we need a different education. We don't need equal education. We need a different education. We need somebody who can tell us how you can beat this system and, you know, and and, 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 and then go from there. I mean, the reason why uh, I'm not, well, not, not, the reason why I'm barred from the courtroom today is because everybody say, you know, look, if you let this man back in, he's going to beat the system. You know, I mean, I mean, so it, I don't know. I can't speak for nobody else, but that's what they're saying about me. So you know, you got 25 years later, and even though I was only given a bogus suspension of five years, you know, it's been 25 years, and they said, well, we don't change the rules of the game now because your people are asleep, because the black politicians have sold it out. Uh, we feel like we can just bar you from the courtroom forever, and so that that that's where we are. But the reality of it is, is that this system can be beat, and you know, and and, and I'm not saying that other people can beat it. Maybe they can't, but I'm saying that I know that I could beat it. You know, and I know that I don't care what kind of case you gave me. You put 12 members of the Ku Klux Klan in a jury box, and they will come back with a not guilty verdict. That's just the bottom line. Now that may sound crazy, but that's real, and they have acknowledged that. So you know, I can't say whether, you know, other people can learn the law and be like I was, you know, but I can only say that I know what I was and I know what I knew and I knew how to develop myself to to obtain the results that I did. That's all that, that I that I can say. And, but I can understand people say, well, you know, the system's still right. It, of course it's still right. I just happen to be able to know how to beat it constantly. It's just like going up to Las Vegas and every night you walk into the casino, you come, you leave with a a, a a bag full of money, you know. And uh, hey, sometimes it happens, and when it does, they decide, well, you just can't come into Las Vegas no more, you know. Uh, so the system's still corrupt. But the only thing I can say is that as long as I was practicing in the system, I was constantly able to beat it. Last question is for for brothers and sisters that's out there that. That, that are in the street, when we get caught up in this white man's legal system, uh, it takes a lot of money, you know, for our brothers and sisters to even stand a chance of even taking a fight in the courtroom with this cracker. And there's something else that you said, but I don't want to get off that question. Uh, so I'm going to finish that question out first before I move on to the next thing. Can you give me any resources for our brothers and sisters that's in the street that we could use as tools to apply to this fight against this cracker in this courtroom is really, truly, the only way that I see it being effective in any way is that we would have to have a thousand more brothers and sisters with the knowledge and the will to fight this cracker in this courtroom just like you. And it's very unfortunate that we don't have that at all. We don't even have the steps or the process to even begin to even train the babies in that matter. So it's like, what do we do? Well, you know, this, this, the legal system is based on the law of supply and demand in much the same way as the economic system is based on the law of supply and demand. And this is an easy, very, very easy point. If if the, if the police officer, if officers tomorrow arrest 10,000 of us, uh, then that's a tremendous supply. And the problem is, if we all said that we want a trial, then the system is bankrupt. 
I mean, just that simple. You know, they can't do it. I mean, so they can't, they can't deal with the numbers that they are creating. And, you know, and we're only accommodating them by not resisting. And that and that and that's the point because they have a greed, and the greed is, is much more uh, expensive uh, than what they have uh, to uh, uh, to deal with that greed. And so, if we are not willing to go along with what they are doing, you know, then it's going to be a matter of law, supply, and demand. If everybody demanded a trial. Nobody will get a trial. Nobody will get a trial because the system can't handle those kinds of trials. They just can't do it, you know. And so, you know, and the only way that we can accommodate the system is by pleading guilty, which is something I never did. Uh, so, you know, there were three things when a client came to my office. I said, look, I'm not going to ask you what happened. I'm not going to ask you to take the witness stand, and I'm not going to ask you to plead guilty. And so, you know, I mean, it, it's, it, if other lawyers are, are operating in the same spirit, you know, then this system can't, can't do the damage that it's doing. The only reason why it's doing the damage it's doing because 95 out of 100 defendants are pleading guilty. So it makes it very easy for the system uh, to threaten you with 25 years to life in prison and or you can cop a guilty plea and get 10 years, you see, uh, or if you just have the ability to say, well, I'm just ready to go down. I'm I'm just ready to have a trial, and then I'll see what, where, 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 where it gets me. And I'm suggesting to you that the numbers are not there for them to put in the number of people that they're putting behind bars uh, and that we can only accommodate them by pleading guilty. Thank you, Bob. I'm not I don't want to take up so much time. I know there's other family members and callers on the line that also got questions for you. So uh, I look forward to being able to sit with you and be able to get, you know, some some of the issues going on in my mind resolved and for us to be able to build and find a solution for our brothers and sisters in this war against this beast on both sides from a military aspect and a legal aspect. But in my mind, the last thing that I want to say is that I don't think that the black man against the cracker in the courtroom using legal lease will hold uh, as a sword in the hand to be able to slay the cracker because I just don't see us, even if we educate ourselves on legal lease, of us being able to use that as a tool to come out successful. The only real successful way that I see us getting any justice against the cracker rather on a battlefield or in this courtroom is by eliminating them. Well, you know, that certainly is the final solution. I mean, no question about that. Uh, you know, in, in the meantime, uh, you know, I think that there are obviously things that we have to do to prepare one way or the other. And and the thing, and the thing that I, I suggest is that we have to take control of the minds of our children at a very early age. I share that, Baba. Well, um, we're going to go to the lines, Baba. We're going to let, let some of the callers in. And, um, and I got two, but before I let the callers in, I got two names real quick that I want to say their names. 
and I just want to want you to just give your thoughts on on these um on these two people who were also uh, spokespersons at the Million Mark March. And the first one is Reverend Jeremiah Wright. Well, uh, let's go to the second one, and then we'll, we'll wiggle our way back to Jeremiah Wright. <laughs> the second one is Benjamin Chapin. Well, that's all, that's all easier uh uh, um, a question for me, only because I don't really know Reverend Jeremiah Wright, so I, I had to deal with people on their reputation, you know. Uh, but in my opinion, as it gets to to be uh, Ben Chavis, uh what I see happening in this country is that some people are given credentials that they didn't necessarily earn. And they are given these credentials to make it easier for them to infiltrate organizations later on, under the guise that they have the right credentials uh, to do it. Now, I have looked at the Wilmington 10 and all the cases uh, around uh, what Ben Chavis has been involved in, and I, I still have a lot of questions. Uh, you know, as to whether some of those things were legitimate or not. Uh, I have been involved in other cases where I know that, that people were operating with false credentials. And and so, you know, many of these uh, cases in which it makes it easy for those persons to infiltrate uh, black organizations. And the point I'm making is that I will put a question mark under Ben Chavis' name. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, well, uh, you know, I just wanted to ask about them, too. You already spoke on Benjamin Crump. And as you said, you know, you can't really give us too much on Jeremiah Wright, and you already touched uh, Farrakhan. So not, I'm going, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to go to the line. And I'm gonna let some of the callers on the lines ask, you know, ask a couple questions. We got a, we got a few more minutes with the, with the brother. We'll be on for it's about eight o'clock. So family, come on in. We got a, a lot of callers on the line. So y'all, uh, please come in with a question or a comment, and um, we'll be coming to you. And so uh, for the people who are on the line, those who have been on the line the longest, uh, know that I'll be coming to you um, first. So um, be prepared for your question and comment. I'm going to come and go quick. It's not going to be a lot of time. All right. Uh, let's open up North Carolina. B48, your line is open. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Question and comment for Bob Automatics. All right, North Carolina. We're going down to our next call. That's right. That's it. Fucking lights, man. Uh, New York got a lot of stuff going on in the background. Like Power, your line is open. New York, your line is open. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Question or comment for Bob Automatics. All right. Like I said, we're going through quick. We got a lot of callers out here. All right, we are uh, Black Power, Washington, D.C. 
Well, uh, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Question or comment for Bob Automatics. All right. Let me see right here. I know our brother up here got a got a question. Let me. It's our brother Dondre. Let's let's see. Black Power. Black Power, brother. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. We got a question or comment for Bob Automatics. All right, uh, brother Mike might come in. Might have a question. Now I, I see y'all out there. I know y'all. I, I know I'm not gonna go through all these all these callers and y'all got nothing to say. Don't be don't be afraid now. Uh, Black Power, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Question and comment for Bob Automatics. New York City, New York. The line is open. That's you, New York. All right. We're going to, we got another New York caller, New York City. Your line is open. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Question or comment? I told you, y'all lines, they're coming open. Y'all be prepared. When you hear that sound, say unmuted. That's you. All right, New York City. We're going to hit New York City one more time. we got another New York City. Your line is open. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Question or comment? Hello? Hello? Yep, that's you. Good. Alton. Yes, sir. Best on the planet. Now, and I'm like, I'm going to channel champ. Give your All name, right? brother. Give your name. Man. I'm going to champ. Yeah. Uh like the whole planet, uh, the spark was lit when we heard him refer to Trump as attorney at war. You know, it is such a blessing and to hear you talk and other brothers who are doing it even with other difficulties, but I'm going to get to some questions, all right? So I saw the ones who were there and also saw who the cameras chose to focus on. One was Cornell West. One was Russell Simmons. One was Snoop Dogg. Now, when Farrakhan had talked about on the lawyers who took on the 35%, wasn't that directed on the Trump and the civil rights thing? Okay, say that again. I heard part of that. Right, you heard Farrakhan when he started talking about the lawyers uh-huh. who was getting on the 35%, who was doing exactly everything that you said. Wasn't that really I'm referring also to Trump? And as you say, it by the civil rights, the, the ones with the S and the R. When you see the way they are doing it, it really makes us appreciate you so much more. And especially the way you are able to answer and to take in all kind of questions. Now, I'm going to bring you a little bit back here home, okay? Okay. In terms of Calvin Butts. All right. In terms of Calvin Butts. And the, now, it seems like the whole okay is to go gangster. It's to go gangster. And we see, like in terms of New York, because this is where I am at, on the thing with Andy Blasio, 
whether he was going to run under beef, under seeing of him taking under three and the millions. Terms of the millions which have been allocated to to all of the ones, to the on the thing of Shafter. Shafter show on today, which is Whoa. Brother, excuse me, brother. Yeah. Brother, if you could, can you streamline your question so it could be a direct question for Bob Automatics? We got a lot of callers on the line, and, you know, we got limited time, but I, I definitely want you to get get your question in. But can you streamline it so it will be something that Bob Automatics can answer? All right. Okay, Brother Alton. We're going to have you to come up to the Bronx. We're going to have you to stand in the circle of the Mott Haven where I'm from. Where is it what I can bring you to some of the young people so we can do some of the things you are saying? Oh, I should give you my phone number. Can you wait? Well, Alton, write down my number. Okay. Ready? 718 
And so I pretty much just got out of it, you know, because I felt like a lot of things that we do must be uh, based on class actions. Now, uh, what Crump has done is that uh, he has certainly uh, signed those retainers of 33% with clients, but he has refused to initiate class actions. So basically, uh, he's right where we were with poverty lawyers, where the only people that get uh, any money uh, is the, uh, the, the the lawyers themselves. Because uh, when you look at uh, most of the uh, so-called victims, uh, they pretty much take hush money. So, you know, while they may be parading around at Farrakhan's event or somebody else's event, uh, but they do nothing to change the system, okay, because they're not initiating class actions. And, and while they might be able to initiate a class action, they don't need to because it, it's easy for them to just get a third of what they can get from one client and let it go from there. So that's what Crump is doing. He does take uh, a, a percentage, and Farrakhan uh, was certainly referring to him, and as you correctly say, uh, Farrakhan was engaging in doublespeak because while he was on one hand uh, questioning Crump, on the other hand, he would elevate him by giving him his stage. Uh, so, you know, that more or less allows Crump, uh, with the notion that he is the attorney at war, to get more clients. And so you have to begin to ask yourself, is, is Farrakhan and Crump engaged in some kickback? You know, uh, in the same way that Shopton is engaged in kickbacks. I mean, that's part of the money that Shopton makes, is that he uh, promotes himself as a civil rights leader, and victims uh, see, them, see him on television with the mayor or somebody, and they run to him uh, thinking that he is a civil rights leader. He goes and uh, retain get Rubenstein, uh, who is a rapist, uh, to do uh, 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 his bidding. And so uh, at the end of the day, Shopton is collecting kickbacks. You know, and so you have to ask yourself, is Mr. Farrakhan doing the same thing? Or is he above that? And so this is where the problem is today is that when so many uh, these uh, persons uh, engage uh, in this kickback. You see, I'm not, I have never, ever asked any client to sign a retainer agreement. Okay? I have never taken a dime of hush money ever in my life. And I have always insisted that if I had a case, it was going to go to trial. And so as a result of that, uh, somebody like Farrakhan or Shopton doesn't have any use for me uh, because, first of all, I'm not collecting money from the client myself. So I certainly don't need uh, to give them any kickback uh, because there are no kickbacks to give. And this is what we have to begin to worry about now in terms of the legal system is how uh, you have these so-called uh, civil rights leaders hooking up with these civil rights attorneys uh, to make these gigantic hauls against our community, and there's a lot of money in these kickback cases. I mean, you know, you can you can you can, you can become a millionaire overnight 
uh, in these kinds of cases, and some of these uh, uh, lawyers, like the, the lawyer, the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, that's what he was. He was in. Uh, he was a civil S I L V R R I T S attorney, and he was the one that uh, called us out of our names and defamed us. You know, and, and at the same time, we're using uh, black clients to make the money that that he is making. So this is a whole new scam uh, that is going on, and that's why I said that it's very important for our people to first classify the four types of movements. You have the human rights movement. You have the C-I-V-I-L-R-I-G-H-T-S movement. You have the S-I-L-V-E-R-R-I-T-E-S movement. And you have the Black Lives Matter movement. That's very important. you got to understand each one of those these movements and understand what they really stand for, and most of us do not. And that's the reason why I try to write every day. And, uh, you know, and I, I'm, I'm people, I, I have an account. I have several thousand people I send emails out to every day, and I have an account for every person who gets an email from me, and I can tell you that very few people make any contributions. You know, I'm not interested in uh, 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 people sending a go pay me or fund me or whatever they call it. I'm interested in people financing uh, the access to information. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to write in such a way that people can learn. I'm trying to write in such a way that I don't, I'm not writing books because I have to write every day. You know, if you write a book, you may be off the scene for six months. In six months, everything might be happening. We can't afford for some writer, a uh, prolific writer that is, some writer who's very knowledgeable and who's very analytical to be off for six months or more writing a book. I mean, we may be all gone during that time. And so that's what I'm doing now is spending all my time, and people who get my email know they get something from me virtually every day. And it's something to do and some conscious raising every day and things that you would never get anywhere else in the world. The things that come out of my mouth have not come out of anybody else's mouth. And most of what some of the speakers were talking about uh, Saturday came out of my writings. You know, I, I, I heard many things that were said on Saturday that I was the first to introduce to the black community. And so, you know, and it's very important for us to do that, but you have to have the kind of software, you have to have the kind of uh, resources, you have to have the kind of uh, competence among uh, 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 your office staff that can do that kind of work. So that that's where we are uh, and that's what, you know, Farrakhan was certainly referring to Benjamin Crump. But on one hand, while he may have been slapping Crump uh, on, on, on the left side, he was soothing him on the right side. And that's what's troubling. That's it. You know, uh, I just wanted to ask, ask it out right now. I pretty much, uh, pretty much understood what was going on. It was... Uh, He's a master of the English language, you know. Uh, Elijah Muhammad said, he said, one going to come up in the ranks of the, of the nation, one going to come up in the ranks that's going to be a master of the English language, and he's going to make the treachery of Malcolm look like child's play. Mm-hmm. And that's looking at how he felt about what was going on. And, you know, we got the fiddler, the master of the English language. So we're going to move on. Let's see. Pennsylvania. 
Pennsylvania line open, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio, question or comment for Bob Automatic. All right. Brother Vaughn, I'm just listening. Oh, oh, okay. All right, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming in and saying something. You know, most people be quiet. Uh, thank you, family. But um, Black Power New York, your line open. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio, question or comment for Bob Automatic. And family, if you could, you know, if you just came in like the brother just said, I'm just listening, that would that'd be good. So then I can just move right on. But I'm, I'm going to keep going. And uh, if not, I know our brother Minkara had another question. Um, Black Power, Woken, Feet on the Ground Radio, question or comment for Bob Automatic. Brother Minkara. Black Power. Black Power. Uh, family, you know, um, go ahead I know you had uh, a couple more questions. If you if you if you could go ahead and ask the brother a question, we going through the lines and, and a lot of callers are just listening. So you know we might as well go ahead and engage engage Bob Maddox so they can get the most information that we can make sure is out there. Oh no doubt, no doubt. Uh, about Maddox, we spoke earlier on captivating our children's minds. Uh, could you elaborate on that in regards to how important it is for us to make sure that our, our children have an African centered perspective on this? lifestyle in America, and how important it is for our enemy to engage in educating our children. Yeah, that, that, that is extremely important. And um, one, one of the worst things that happened to us was Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, and, um, and basically, uh, what Brown versus Board of Education is, brought, is actually brought back training schools to the education system. Uh, you know, for years, uh, when you looked at one of our diplomas from high school, it said training school. That was, that was, that was on the diploma. So you, you didn't go to, uh, let's say, uh, uh, Bronx uh, uh, High School. You went to Bronx Training School. And so that distinguished uh, the education that white people uh, received as opposed to the education uh, that black people uh, received uh, in terms of, of, of going to those training schools. And in those training schools, uh, it required training wheels. And so that basically meant that you won't always be dependent uh, on somebody else. And this is one of my favorite quotes uh, from Dr. Carter G. Wilson. He says, history shows that it does not matter who is in power. Those who have not learned to do for themselves and have to depend solely on others never obtain any more rights or privileges in the end than they had in the beginning. I need to read that again. History shows that it does not matter who is in power. Those who have not learned to do for themselves have to depend solely on others, never obtain any more rights or privileges in the end than they had in the beginning. And this is what basically uh, uh, Thurgood Marshall did, along with Dr. Kenneth Clark, because uh, they presented 
false evidence uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court about the school systems, and they suggested, based on a uh, uh, fraudulent uh, doll test, uh, that the black children who attended uh, 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 black schools uh, love white folks more uh, than uh, white children, uh, blacks and whites who te- who all, who attended those schools otherwise. And 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 the point was that was made was uh, he uh, Dr. Clark, Dr. Henry, not Dr. Henry, Dr. Kenneth Clark cited uh, a test that he gave in uh, Massachusetts as opposed to a test that he gave in. Uh, Arkansas, and in the test that he gave in Massachusetts, uh, which was an integrated setting, uh, he claimed uh, that the children in the integrated setting was not as fun of uh, of white children as opposed to those who went uh, in the segregated setting. And so he had the Supreme Court to believe that if we integrate black children with white children, we will have a healthier mind than if we maintain segregated schools. And the scientific evidence did not suggest that. And John Davis, who was the appellate attorney for the South, uh, vehemently uh, opposed the Supreme Court accepting this false voodoo scientific argument uh, to support the integration of public schools. The reality of it is, and this is what Charles Hamilton Houston and others have said all along, is that when you have young black children uh, uh, being educated, they should be educated by their own because he or she who rocks the cradle rules the nation. And so we have a situation now well, right, white women are rocking the cradle, and therefore they're ruling the nation uh, because of the because of the integrated education system that we have in place now. And this is the first thing that we have to do uh, in terms of uh, getting our children straight, and that is to revolutionize the educational system and stop demanding an equal education instead insisting on a different education. I'll say. What will be some um regarding um curriculum? What will be some uh subjects you will emphasize on regarding building an African centered child? The mentality of a you know, which will later be a strong African uh, man. That's woman. a great question. And uh I, I start out with this. Um uh, Malcolm X said, of all the discipline, history is best qualified to reward our research. Now, what that means is that children who go to school and study mathematics should not only study the numbers and the equations, but they should also understand the history of mathematics. Where did math come from? Uh, when you study uh, uh, other courses study the history and understand where they come from because once you understand the history of a 
course, then you understand that you are much closer to understanding that course than a white child because it was your ancestors and not the white child's ancestors who started that course in the first place. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Bob. All right, family, we're going to go down and see. Let's see if North Georgia um, got a call. North Georgia, your line is open. Welcome to Sit on the Ground Radio. You got a question? Hi. Well, no, this is Karen. I'm just listening. I'm a student of Attorney Maddox. Okay, well, thank you. Hey, Karen, how you doing? I'm good. Good. All right, thank you again, sister. Get her line closed. Here we go. Uh, Louisiana. Louisiana, your line is open. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Question yes, sir. It, yes, yes, sir. Attorney, Attorney Maddox, uh, Dr. Clark had gave a lecture. Can you, can you hear me, sir? Yes, sir. Yes, brother, but state your name first and then go ahead and ask the question. Yes, sir. My name is Shelby Williams. And my my mother purchased a lot of your videos from uh, uh, African United Movement, and I was wondering if you would give any consideration, uh, because there were so many outstanding lectures there. If you would if you would somehow make it so that we could purchase those. That's my first question. My second question is: Dr. Clark gave a lecture called Fake Leadership, where he explicitly mentioned Dr. Maulana Karanga and Minister Farrakhan. Can you can mm-hmm. you speak to those two questions, uh, Brother Alton? And and you're always good, man. You're always very good. Thank you, sir. I appreciate well, you, man. All right, thank you very much. Let me uh, yes, sir. let me say <laughs> let, let let me say that uh, that I have I have been much kinder to Minister Farrakhan than Doctor Clark has been. You know, I, I start by saying that uh, because uh, in 1995, uh, or prior to 1995, as a matter of fact, uh, I had told uh, Dr. Clark, who I had represented, because I, I was his attorney uh, during the time that he was alive, of course. And uh, so when Minister Farrakhan proposed the Million Man March, you know, I said that I was going to go. And he said, uh, well, you're just getting ready to waste your time uh, because Farrakhan is a fake and a fraud. And so, uh, you know, I went against his wishes, his best wishes, and I attended the uh, uh, Million Man March uh, because I really wanted to see firsthand uh, what it was about, and uh, you know, I, I can simply say uh, that you know it was important for us uh, at the slave theater to have the slave theater, uh, and uh, you know, the sister that just came on the line a moment ago, you know, had been a part of the slave theater, and it was a a very important program. But we also, you know, we didn't limit it to. Uh, just people that we favored. We did bring on other people uh, as well, and Mount Karanga was certainly one of those who we paid to come out and to listen to uh, because we felt as though uh, it is best 
when all of the cards are on the table and our people can learn to think for themselves. So we were highly opposed to censorship because we believe that censorship dumbed down the people. And so that was the basis for us bringing people in from all over the world uh, to uh, to speak. And it was a very difficult task, and it required a lot of commitment uh, from a lot of people. And as I said before, uh, we had uh, four very loyal sisters, sisters uh, Karen Mason being one, Leo Max being another, uh, Sarah Russell being another, and uh, Sister... Uh, uh, and she just escaped my name, her name. I'm sure somebody else calls me. Uh, um, uh, and she was, they were all very helpful, and it took all of that in order to create it. I hope that I hope that we will be able to to uh, you know to 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 continue that. We have been continuing that for over 28 years, and the other sister's name was Don Martin, and those sisters were just done a tremendous job. And I work with all four of them. I'm so somewhat of a workaholic, so I was really pretty much working uh, 24 hours a, a day. But that's some tremendous uh, wisdom that we got from the Space Theater, and, and certainly we've been able to, to maintain that. And I think those are the kind of things that are helpful, and that's the reason why even today, you know, we're getting ready to, to go right back to what we did. We had a wonderful audience out uh, last Wednesday for Dr. Umar Johnson. Uh, we have Phyllis Yvonne Stigney, uh, who will be there this weekend. This week, I'm sorry, on Wednesday. And we have Dick Gregory, who's coming in uh, the following week. And we have just a number of people that are coming in. And we're trying to revitalize all of that. But, yes, uh, we would definitely make those things, uh, you know, possible and available to you. And the number that you can call is 718-834-9034, 718-834-9034, and give us a call tomorrow or any day during the week. Yes, sir. Um, well, well, Bob, I don't know how long you, you know, how long we, we're heading up to the 8 o'clock hour. We got a lot of other callers. I want to go to like two, you know, two or three more. Sister Camille, are you out there? Black Power. Black Power. I, you know, sister, if you if you had anything that you wanted to add on, anything that you heard, you want to ask a question, Hello? something that sparked your mind, please, please, go on, come on in. Hello, am I on mute? Hold on. Hold on. What was that? How did they line get open? Hold on. Um, this is New York. This New York. Oh, all right. Um. Well, New York, come on in. If you want to ask a question, a question or comment for uh, Bible Automatic, state your name first and then um, come on in. My name is uh, Ronald Overton Bay, and i just like to say that I'm listening in on uh, on the Dr. Maddox, Alton Maddox, he's a great guy, and uh, I appreciate him and ready to work with him and do whatever needs to be done to technology. Well, I certainly appreciate it. And uh, and this coming Wednesday night, I'll be at uh, the UAM uh, headquarters, yeah. 1061 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. And uh, certainly, please come out. Come out. And uh, if you have any information uh, or any questions, uh, you can certainly call uh, 917-947-8995 during the week. And uh, we'll certainly be glad to have you on board. 
All right. Uh, we're going down. Well, uh, go ahead, Sister Camille. If you had anything, to, any question you want to ask before I hit down to, I'm coming to Pennsylvania. Uh, yeah, uh, I wanted to um, ask Baba Maddox. He had mentioned uh, the Million Man March 95, and it um, had me, uh, it made me think of the fact that Dr. Khalid Muhammad wasn't allowed to speak. And um, I want to know what his feelings was on that and uh, uh, in, in consideration that he attended. And then um, secondly, you know, he um, last time Bob was on the show, Bob and Max was on the show, he had mentioned how the black woman had never been free from enslavement. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. And I I can answer that. I, I would certainly love to, and I will. Um, this, this, as I started uh, discussion tonight, you know, I say that you have to always answer questions by certain principles. You know, and this is not a question of our emotions, our feelings, uh, but, you know, things are handled according to those principles. And certainly uh, they are handled that way in terms of uh, American jurisprudence. Uh, you have to be able to connect the dots. And, uh, and many times you really have to be able to think outside the box uh, as a reality. And I think the the one thing we have to look at and what we do know is that the reason why the white man and the reason why I just stood up uh, and, and, and decided to give my uh, whole career away uh, for the defense of black women is because uh, I understood uh, that the white man, ever since I've ever known him and everything i ever known about him, uh, he has always treated our women as chattel slaves uh, from the beginning. And so uh, I didn't have to read about those things. You know, I saw them in reality. Uh, I grew up in Georgia. Uh, I can remember when I was about 10 years of age and I was hanging around, hanging out around this apartment complex and uh, there were some other people that was outside hanging around, and, you know, we saw this white man drive up about 9 o'clock in the evening. And that was always interesting because, you know, in a segregated society, you didn't really see too many white people in your neighborhood uh, after dark. And so uh, I remember uh, uh, this man uh, knocking on the door, and uh, this uh, black woman who was very attractive, uh, opened the door and let him in. And so, you know, initially I didn't think a whole lot of it. Uh, but then at some point, her husband left the house and stayed away for about four hours. And so uh, when, uh, uh, you know, when this white man obviously got uh, finished doing what he was doing, he left. And, you know, and and so, you know, I saw that, and then I saw a number of other things, and then even uh, in recent times, there was a congressman from Mississippi who became a head of uh, uh, agriculture department, and 
know, apparently he and his wife was at a, a dance and uh, a party, rather. And uh, at some point, a white man walked in and got her and took her away and stayed several hours and came back with her. And uh, that was it. And so, you know, those kind of things just, you know, instill in me a real concern about our women and the fact that obviously most black men were too incompetent to uh, help defend them, uh, incompetent to defend them. And so as a result of that, uh, you know, uh, when the case of Tawana Brawler came uh, down the pike, you know, I just said, well, look, you know, forget about whether I'm a lawyer or not. Uh, you know, if we can't defend our women, then we ain't fit to live, you know. And so, you know, and I, and I took these people to the mat and beat them at every turn. And this is why I'm a little bit concerned about Melissa Farrakhan because Melissa Farrakhan has never stood up and told the truth about Tawana Brawley. You know, uh, he's done a lot of ranting and raving, but he's never told the truth. He never told people that I won the case. You know, he never told the proof that these are the documents. Uh, so, you know, while nobody else spoke up for me, he didn't speak up for me either. And, you know, and, and, and there came a time during the course of the trial uh, up in Poughkeepsie, uh, a defamation lawsuit, Pagonis versus Maddox, Mason, Shopton, and Brawley, even though Brawley wasn't personally served. And, uh, and what had happened was... Uh, Judge Hickman, who presided over the trial and was a hitman for the judicial system, uh, called my office one day, and uh, he wanted to know uh, uh, how could he get in contact with uh, uh, Mr. Clemson Brown. And so, you know, we told him what the number was, and uh, so he got the number. And then the next day I went to court, uh, Judge Hickman uh, was allowing uh, Pagonis and those to show a film clip of Mr. Farrakhan at the Savior's Day in Chicago. And so, uh, and in this film clip, you know, Mr. Farrakhan, you know, was ranting and raving about the rape of our women. And in it, you know, he said, well, I'm going to... Uh, uh, strip uh, all of the meat off of Pagonis and feed him to the fowl. And, uh, you know, and and so, you know, when he finished, uh, Hickman uh, told the jury, because you got to remember, uh, you know, when you have a trial, there's such a thing as a lead defendant. Now, the lead defendant is always the defendant in a multiple in a multiple-party case where there are several defendants. The lead defendant is considered the architect. You know, he's the one uh, that they really want. And so Hickman uh, said to the jury, uh, I want you to consider Farrakhan's statements as only pertaining to Maddox. I don't want you to consider them as relating to Sharpton or Mason. I want you to consider them as relating to Maddox. And now, at that particular time, you know, uh, I knew that I had to do some real lawyering. I mean, after they put that on and 
show that to those white folks up there in Dutchess County. I knew I had to do some real lawyering, and I did. And, uh, you know, and I didn't back up from Minister Farrakhan or anything of that uh, notion. You know, I defended the case. Khalid Muhammad, Dr. Muhammad, came up because uh, he heard about it, and he wanted to know what could he do. And I said, Khalid, don't worry. You know, I got this. You know, I know it's going to take uh, several more thousands of dollars because, you know, we had to pay for being up there. It's going to prolong the trial. And it ended up being the longest civil trial in the history of New York State. And, you know, I knew that was going to come out of my pocket. And uh, so, but I said, well, you know, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. But I'm not going to in any way disassociate myself from Minister Farrakhan. I'm not going to plead for any uh, 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 cop or leniency or anything like that. And I'm going to beat this case despite the fact that I know they have really poisoned this jury now. And and so I told Carly to go back. Don't worry about it. I had it. And uh, I never heard from Mr. Farrakhan, however. And uh, at the end of the case, and you see, this is what black people got to understand. How do you know when somebody wants a case, a defamation case? A defamation case, the intent of which is to seal lips. Mason's lips are forever sealed on Pagonas. Sharpton's lips are forever sealed. They lost the case. Mattis' lips are still unsealed. And I'm saying on your air right now, Steve Pagonis, you raped and kidnapped Tawana Brawley. Now, get a copy of this and go back into court. He can't because he lost. He lost because of the doctrine of race judicata and collateral estoppel. And so, you know, this is why I tell people that we have to learn legal lease and military science, uh, you know, because of that. But I never backed down uh, uh, from Minister Farrakhan. I never uh, uh, disowned him or uh, belittled him or worried about me uh, having to pay a large judgment uh, because I, because he, he, he had put himself into the equation. I never did any of that. You know, that's the reason why it's hard for me to accept what Minister Farrakhan is saying now. And it's hard for me, you know, to believe uh, that he is claiming justice or else. You know, I, I can't believe that. And so, you know, this is where we are. And so, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's very it's, it's very hurting. Uh, but, you know, th- these are the realities. And I ha- end up spending maybe more than $100,000 more dollars. Because this became the longest serious civil trial in the history of New York, and one of the jurors, Althea Williams, a beautiful sister, uh, said to me, "You know," she said, "You really performed after they showed Mr. Farrakhan's clip because she was one of the jurors, and she said, you know, it was masterful how you just stretched this trial on." For a long period of time after that, I mean, I had them up there for another three months because I knew that I had to re, uh, re-defend myself. You know, as they heard what Mr. Farrakhan said, you know, I knew that there was no way in the world I could rest my cake at that particular point because I would have been through. And so, you know, that's why it's hard for me, you know, now to have him to have uh, Benjamin Crump as the attorney at war. 
you know, when Trump ain't never warred on nobody. You know, it never got any results on any case. And black folks are just as happy with him as all outdoors. And for somebody like me who's done nothing but defend black people and who never asked for a dime uh, in terms of defending them, who have put myself in a situation where I can't collect a pension now because I spent all my money on black people. I don't have a Social Security. You know, I'm not doing all of that because uh, I did that for my people. I haven't seen Trump do anything but collect the next check for hush money. You know, and so for us to be in a situation where we don't know the difference between uh, Benjamin Crump and Alton Max is a real shame and a real indictment on all of our people as having insanity at all. Black power. And black power to to your service, Baba Maddox, for going in that courtroom swinging. Thank Baba you. Ma- <laughs> no, thank you for sharing that. Um, because you, you're giving me, uh, uh, you're renewing my faith in the possibility, you know, because uh, I, I have become disillusioned in the possibility of uh, the legal system being a viable a means of um, us getting retribution against uh, this white racist society. Let me spit it plainly. You know, um, and the only reason why I say that is because, um, and, and, and in my ignorance, please allow me to say that, uh, just scratching the surface, time and time again, you know, you see them ignoring their very own laws, you know. Uh, you had the the 13th, the 14th, and, and, and the 15th Amendment, only for there to have to be a Civil Rights Act of 1875. You know, so I want to thank you for sharing that because it's it's it, it it's helping to, uh, like I said, renew that possibility in me. And Baba Maddox, um, can you briefly go into because I read your recent article, uh, Blacks' right to um, desegregate. Uh, to a desegregated public trial. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Can you go into what is going on briefly with that and how they are trying to railroad you? Well, it, uh-huh. and uh, also uh, a little bit about uh, Elizabeth Jennings. And thank you for educating me with that article in relationship to this great sister, Black Power. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, uh, going back uh, to 1976 and uh, Bruce, Judge Bruce Wright was on the bench then, and he was being called and ridiculed as cut him loose Bruce. And so uh, it had gotten to the point where the PBA was on him every day for everything that he did, and he did everything right. Uh, there was no bell jumping, uh, as the PBA claimed that would happen with the kind of ruling that he gave. And Bruce Wright understood that there was a correlation between uh, the innocence of a defendant and his ability to be out on bail. And so he had a very uh, intelligent approach uh, to uh, cutting people out on bail because he realized that that was their better possibility of actually uh, winning an acquittal in the end. And so, you know, that was him. Now, in the meantime, what people don't know is that the court system in New York in 1976 
was desegreg- was segregated, and it was segregated in this manner: um, white court officers was taking the position that only white attorneys could sit on the front row, and this was I I, I had just started practicing criminal law in '76 because I'd been in poverty law for the last two years beforehand. So, you know, when I got over there and I saw this court officer, you know, uh, berating this uh, black lawyer for sitting on the front seat and told him to get in the back. And obviously that just bothered me, you know, <laughs> to no end uh, to, to to see that. And so the next day, you know, I just, I just pitched the scene in the courtroom and threatened everybody in there because that was the only way I could draw uh, anybody's attention to me because at that time nobody really did not know me. People did not know me. And, uh, I, and I always say that I really had not, I had just gotten off the boat, you know, so uh, people didn't know who I was. And so anyway, but I knew I wasn't going to take this. I didn't come all the way to New York, you know, to, to start sitting in the back seat of a courthouse. You know, I, I mean, if I wanted to do that, I would have done it in Georgia, but I wasn't getting ready to do that here. And so, uh, you know, my, my, that was, that was my uh, situation because, you see, the Supreme Court in 1963 had issued a ruling desegregating courtroom. Now, uh, up until 63, the courtroom was segregated by law. It could be segregated, even in New York and anywhere else. They wanted to segregate a courtroom. They could tell what black lawyers get out of the front seat, go into the back, and the Supreme Court said that was permissible. Uh, but a case came down the pike from Danville, Virginia, uh, in which uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, defendant uh, questioned and challenged the, 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 uh, the constitutionality of segregated courtrooms. And so obviously they had to uh, rule uh, that these courtrooms now uh, could be integrated. But it was amazing to me that the court officers were abusing their discretion, you see, because just like in the streets, uh, these uh, 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 rednecks uh, come into the city, and they come here to, to brutalize people. And it don't make no difference whether you're lawyers or whether you are, 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 are defendants. You know, they, they, they believe in treating all as the same. And so, you know, my point was, and this is where my trouble started in New York. It didn't start when I was a poverty lawyer because when I was over in, in the civil courts, uh, there was no such thing as the abuse that the court officers were in, in, imposing on people in criminal courts. It just seemed to be a different kind of animal. And uh, the treatment that black people were receiving in criminal courts was just so far different uh, that in, I, uh, you know, took the position that I am an officer of the court and not a court officer. You know, there's a difference between an officer of the court and a court officer. And I, and, and I, my point to all the judges back there then was, as a officer of the court, I stand above a court officer. A court officer is only an employee, but I'm a part of the corporation. You know, the same way the stockholders are part of the corporation, and I will be treated as such. And so, you know, obviously, 
uh, people had a hard time with that. And if you go and look at the uh, disciplinary complaints against me, uh, the court officers started on me just like the police officers started on Bruce Wright. Uh, you know, and so when you deal with these rednecks, uh, their point was, you know, hey, we're not going to uh, have any changes uh, in the status quo, and it's going to be just like we've always treated Negroes. And I just said, no, that's just not the way it's going to be. And so <laughs> that was my position there. And I and I and I took that as not only uh, being uh, relying on Rosa Parks, but it's interesting that a lot of blacks don't realize when they ride the subway every day in New York, and when they ride a bus line every day in New York and sit where they want to sit, that it started because of a black woman, a school teacher by the name of Elizabeth Jennings. And Elizabeth Jennings refused to give her seat in the 1840s, not 1940s, the 1840s, to a white man. And so in refusing to give her her seat, she was kicked off of the uh, bus line. Now, unlike Rosa Parks, she wasn't arrested, but she was kicked off the bus line. And so she said, well, I'm going to sue not only for myself, but for all of my people. And so she initiated a class action. And the the uh, New York legislature passed legislation in 1844 that uh, integrated uh public transportation in New York. And so every time a person, a black person, get on a train or a bus in New York, they should always tip their hat uh, to Elizabeth Jennings for taking that action, as she did. And she was not the only black woman. Uh, there was a black woman by the name of Sarah Remond, R-E-M-O-N-D, uh, up in Boston, Massachusetts. And she was kicked out of a theater. Uh, because of segregated policies. And uh, she also initiated a class action. And as a result of that class action, she was able to get all blacks in Boston who attended the theater to sit wherever they please. And so, you know, wherever you go up there in Boston, you should always thank Sarah Riemann uh, for taking the stance that she took uh, on behalf of all of our people. And these people were not dealing in hush money. You know, it wasn't like uh, somebody like uh, uh, Benjamin Crump who was dealing in hush money and, and personal injury action and having no effect on nobody else. I mean, so the money that he got out of Trayvon Martin and the money that he got out of uh, Michael Brown in Ferguson have had no impact on nobody else. He didn't sit down and say, uh, we're not going to take this money until we get a, a, a settlement which says, uh, that the police department in Ferguson has to be put in receivership. I mean, that, that that's what you call real lawyering. You know, when you say uh, it's gonna be had to be put under somebody else's control, and we want these other things uh, reflected uh, in this settlement agreement. Uh, he didn't do any of that, and he won't do any of that. And he did not demand a special prosecutor. He didn't demand a special prosecutor. That that was not a special prosecutor. Uh, down in Florida. If had there been a special prosecutor, uh, George Zimmerman would have been behind bars now. But Trump 
I mean, Crump was afraid to ask for a special prosecutor. And so he cannot call himself the attorney at war. There's only been one lawyer in America in two cases, not one, who've gotten special prosecutors, and that was Alton Maddox. And that's the reason why I'm called the attorney at war. I'm, I, earned, I earned the stripes. You know, I wasn't uh, uh, selling wolf tickets at a press conference. I was beating people up in the courtrooms. And as a result of that, that's where I got the title from. And it should not now be cavalierly used by somebody about, like Mr. Farrakhan and Benny McCrump. Black power. Black power. Black power. Uh, yeah. Uh, that <laughs> a lot of frauds. <laughs> a lot of yeah, a lot of frauds out Dang. here. A lot of frauds. Um, you know, we were. Uh, Baba, Baba, how much time do you got? It done. It done got to eight twenty. <laughs> well, you know, you know, we know. Went over. I know some TV <laughs> told me I had you to eight o'clock at least. Well, I know I, we don't went over. Well, over. well. Well, you know, if, if I can sort of tiptoe out here as quick as possible, it might be good because, you know, I have to go back to work. You know, there's always things to do. And, uh, you know, I, I do want to thank people uh, because I was caught up in a real jam up in uh, Del Mar, New York. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I had to count the trip to Atlanta because there were other reasons as well. But the judge up there was not playing fair, and he was hitting below the belt. And I did not want to lose the case because I'm on restrictions in New York now for right to travel. I can't travel. Uh, so, you know, and I wanted to take this case to trial to win it so that my restrictions can be lifted. You know, so uh, because it is not easy, you know, not being able to leave the borders of New York uh, to go anywhere. I can't go up to Connecticut. I can't go down to New Jersey. You know, I can't go anywhere. So, you know, this is the Fugitive Slave Law. Right, this is the Fugitive Slave Law, 1850, that that we are still being subjected to. And so, you know, that's really why I I have to work real hard because I don't have the kind of people around me, you know, who are very supportive. You know, I do want to thank Brother Reginald Peavy, you know, who's been, you know, been there and you know him. Uh, doing a great job, but a lot of people just don't take this stuff seriously. And when they do, they start work for the other side. They start praising the enemy. And so, you know, it's rough out here. But uh, but I, but I, I couldn't go to Atlanta because I don't have the right to travel, and uh, and and I can't get black people to stand up as a class and try to stop Mario. I'm mean, not at Mario, but Andrew Cuomo from doing what he's doing. You know, I can't get, get people to say a word. This man should not even be in office there. But he is. And we don't have anybody, you know, who can stand up and say, look, man, you did wrong what you're doing. Now, I do want to announce that on December 1st of this year, I will be returning to the courtroom. And uh, the reality of it is, is that I know that I don't have any other support, so I have no other choice. You know, I don't have anybody go speak for me. Uh, or speak uh, for anything that I stand for, or, or even give me any money uh, to uh, help me uh, to fight these things. You know, and as I said before, I've earned it. I, 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 put, I thought I was putting money into an annuity and that I would be able to get some money back because black people can't pay me for, for everything, but I'd be able to get some money back to uh, to get uh, used to to wage these battles, but now I'm around people who don't want to give up a dime. So, you know, 
it's it, it's not easy. It's but it's a struggle, and I'm not in any way dismayed because it's the way I'm made up. And uh, if I had to do it all over again, I would do it the exact same way that I have done it uh, because I believe that that's the only way that we can make real contributions uh, to our struggle. And I'm certainly not any better than anybody else. And as I said before, Elizabeth uh, Jennings did it. Uh, Sarah Reedman did it. Uh, Fannie Lou Hamer did it. Rosa Parks did, did it. And so, you know, the struggle has to continue. And we have to continue to maintain the legacies that they gave and make sure those legacies are not buried. But it is because we allow those legacies to be buried that people are subject to slave barriers. You see, if you we allow for Dr. Ben did, and we allow for Dr. Clark did to go down in a grave along with their bodies, then that's a slave, leg, a slave barrier. And that's what people have to understand, uh, that too many times people like Gil Nova and Lumbe Breath gave so much. And, and in the end, for everybody to sit there and praise them and then turn right around and call the program here and now rather than like it is and to change the format from public affairs to uh, arts and entertainment is a real indictment on us as a people. And it does not pretend well for our children because that's what this whole struggle is about. It is about our children. And this is an Indian proverb that I think everybody should read and understand. Treat the earth well. It was not given to you by your parents. It was loaned to you by your children. We do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. And that's what my struggle has been about. We have borrowed this from our children, and we should treat the earth well. We should treat everything about it well, and in the end, we should return it to them because it is theirs. And for people like Melissa Farrakhan and others uh, to do what they are doing is a question of child abuse and the elders abusing the children. Right, Powell. Right, Powell. And with that being said, family, we're not going to, you know, we, we definitely thank Ababa Maddox for coming in to, today, um, sharing his time with us. You know, we definitely respect every every moment. Uh, y'all make sure that you got family out there. Tell them to get into the archives. Please tune into this. Listen, listen in intently because there's nothing but jewels being dropped. And uh, we thank everybody who came out tonight. I want y'all to uh, come on out again. Come on out again next Tuesday. This Tuesday will be coming up to be news, news, and more news. We, again, I, I like to say we thank all of y'all for coming out this Sunday for our Sunday special and um, our new philosophies and opinions of Baba Automatic. Tonight we um, dealt with a little bit of uh, message to the grassroots and just looking at agendas moving forward. Um, y'all, y'all was able to get y'all questions in. Y'all got them answered. Uh, excuse me for all the people that I couldn't get to the lines to get all of you, but thank you. Thank you all for coming out. I'd like to uh, close out the same way that we come in. And that's for the praise Nat Turner, Glory to Garvey, Lonely Spirit of Dr. Khaled Abdul Muhammad, Praise Harriet Tubman, Glory to Ida B. Wells, 
Long as the spirit of Sister Fanny Lou Hamer, BB Fortier. Legacy CRM platforms have made you compromise for far too long. With HubSpot CRM platform, you don't have to choose between enterprise tools that are powerful or easy to use. It gives you both, so your marketing, sales, and service teams can align with ease, accelerate sales, and anticipate every customer need. Finally, there's a CRM platform that helps you run better so you can grow better without complexity ever getting in the way. Learn more at HubSpot.com.